Joker is a 2019 American film directed by Todd Phillips and starring Joaquin Phoenix. And I've just recently watched it in the cinema. And I want to break this film down. It's one of these movies that really gets you thinking and is really fun to discuss. And I want to get into that a bit. I'm not going to spoil the plot, though I might mention a few things here and there. I want to discuss it on a cinematic level, on a thematic level, and on a socio-political cultural level. And I'm going to work in my own personal experiences here as well. So just to get the boring stuff out of the way for some context, Joker is the name of a villain, a supervillain of the superhero Batman existing in the DC comic book universe. And yet this film transcends the superhero genre. This is not really a comic book film, though it does have plenty of nods to comic book fans. It's more of a gritty noir film, kind of this like isolated loner genre from the 70s and 80s. Uh, You know, that was this era of gritty cinema by guys like Martin Scorsese and Sidney Lumet. And I guess Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro is the most obvious example. And this film makes plenty of nods in that direction even by casting Robert De Niro in a, in a major role here. And this film is directed by Todd Phillips, who has mostly a comedic background. He made some great comedies, starting with Old School and uh, Starsky and Hutch and the Hangover trilogy. And, you know, so he's, work- he's used to working with really large personalities like Will Ferrell and Wilson Brothers, Owen Wilson and uh, Luke Wilson and Ben Stiller and Zach Galifianakis. Anyway, Todd Phillips is a comedy director, and yet he's written this script and directed it, and I think he's done an amazing job. This has an amazing look to it, you know, the film stock, the lenses he's used, the way that this feels very gritty yet vibrant and dark at the same time, and... Uh, it just has a real, uh, a real expert craftsmanship to it, and that's probably highlighted most through the acting by Joaquin Phoenix, who is utterly brilliant in this film as Arthur Fleck, aka Joker. And Joaquin Phoenix's bona fides uh, probably go without saying, but just to remind you, he started off in the '90s in the Gus Van Sant film To Die For as this kind of like, you know, weirdo kid. And that's kind of the the shtick he's done for a while. He did Gladiator after that. That was his like big, you know, Hollywood entrance as the kind of creepy villain in that movie. And then he did a lot of cool independent movies like Two Lovers and I'm Still Here, which is like a mockumentary of his own hip hop career. Um, And then he did some great films with P.T. Anderson, The Master, and Inherent Vice. And probably my favorite of his, Her, by Spike Jones, where he falls in love with his operating system. Such a great movie. He's always been terrific. And I'll just throw my voice into the 
crowded arena, surely, for his Oscar um, nomination and win. He definitely deserves some attention here. So anyway, um, I knew this stuff going in, but I didn't prioritize Joker as a film that I had to go and see in the theaters. I wasn't sure how transcendent it would really be in terms of Hollywood fare. You know, it was playing at my local art house here in Berlin, and it was also playing at the big multiplex at the Sony Center. And that kind of sums up the movie in a way because it, it does have its foot in the door of both places. You know, it's it's definitely a Hollywood film, technically speaking. It was produced and financed by Warner Brothers Studios, which is one of the big five Hollywood production companies. So that's clear, but it really does, it hides itself, you know, it doesn't have the big golden emblem of Warner Bros. when it opens the movie. It has the more indie, you know, black on white uh, with red highlights kind of W look. And yeah, it definitely feels like it could be an independently financed and made film, but it's not. And I think there's plenty to address there in terms of its social and cultural uh, reception. But let's let's put that aside. I want to talk about the themes here because this is really what makes me really want to think about this movie. I see this film mostly as, well, it is a character study of a disturbed person. That's what it fundamentally is. And everything in the movie is kind of buttressing the psychological journey of this character and as such it's really a study on mental health and wellness and how psychological problems root and manifest and grow in a person and what those problems look like you know these can be you know an array of issues some of which are featured in this film i won't spoil which ones but stuff like schizophrenia, delusional thinking, bipolar disorder, you know, insomnia, uh, psychosis, um, Asperger's and autism, addiction. All of these are mental health issues that I feel our society does not pay enough attention to. We do so much to focus on physical health, uh, primarily in terms of beauty and attractiveness, uh, but also just general fitness, feeling good in our bodies, dieting, working out, exercise. Uh, We really care a lot about physical health, generally speaking. And even spiritual health, we do a fair amount of lip service too, through the form of, you know, meditation, uh, retreats, you know, silent retreats, Um, but you know, there's like all these ways of dealing with our spiritual souls, you know, going to art galleries and, you know, having picnics with our friends and nourishing ourselves and being of sound body and mind. Usually we're referring to stuff that's for the spirit, but actual mental health is kind of this weird, unclear part of our culture where we're not exactly sure, uh, how to address it. And, Maybe I'm mistaken. I mean, I, cer- I certainly do think about this a lot. Personally speaking, I've, I see a psychotherapist, a psychoanalyst. I've 
um, done so throughout my life. I also see a psychiatrist and I've taken medication and I've also self-medicated. So I'm always very aware of mental health and, um, you know, this sort of like mental hygiene of, you know, bedtime and waking up and, you know, hard drugs for sleep aids versus, you know, herbal supplements and, you know, how much to drink and party versus how much to stay sober and detox. And, you know, there are a lot of ways to approach and there are also there's obviously a lot of overlap between mental and physical health. But essentially what we're looking at in the film Joker is a man who is predisposed to psychological disturbances. And I guess I will give a spoiler alert here, but it doesn't really affect the plot. I think it kind of is predictable that this guy suffers from childhood trauma and comes from a pretty unhealthy upbringing and when that is the case it it creates a sort of permanent tension in somebody where a threat is always eminent and defense is always um, a default setting and I have such compassion and sympathy for this because this is a man that needs a hug you know, this is a man that wants to be happy. You know, he he's rather obsessed with this idea of being happy because he's so sad. And he is that sort of prototypical sad clown. That's the first shot of the movie. And he just really wants to make people smile. His profession is in being a clown and a comedian. And he feels it's his duty in the world to make people laugh. And... You know, he he is just in an existential crisis here, needing help. And he has a caseworker, a social worker, who is meeting with him and giving him his medication, which he needs. And he has like a very loose cadre of peers, you know, other clowns that he works with. But the people around him, they almost see him as like this, you know, unkempt dog on the street that you know it just needs a bath and some love but no one gives it to it they just kick it you know, or ignore it you know and this is the kind of posture that arthur walks around with he he desperately needs personal attention but he can't get it and he's on the outside looking in this is essentially alienation i think that's probably the number one theme of this film alienation, being alienated from society, and from even yourself, where you don't even know if you are real, because everything feels so surreal and dreamlike in a way, so otherworldly, like how can a human exist in on earth and yet feel so dead inside? And this is just a really important message that needs to be thought about. And I just think that this film as a piece of art, at least entertainment, does a good job to put that on the forefront. There are other issues going on in this film, like class inequality, uh, class warfare, the haves and the have-nots, and the struggle of the people that have nothing. And 
it's in this kind of setting where uh, less fortunate people can slip through the cracks and become alienated. And that's what we're watching here. And these are political themes, but the film isn't necessarily political. It, of course, is. And everything can be seen politically. But it's really like Arthur's identity, not as a political activist or standing for a message, but more as a philosophical, psychological nihilist, desperate for something and finally feeling free through his giving up, his, his search for meaning ending, which is kind of the, <laughs> the happiness of the movie, ironically. It's, it just left such an impression on my friends and I because it was so intimate and insightful. And I was shocked today to wake up and look up this film and read some things about it that on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a pretty mediocre score of like 60 or something out of 100. And that's not very high for a movie that I think of as definitely a great movie. The audience score is much higher in the 80s or 90s. And this discrepancy also is like troubling to me. Like I, I'm always curious why that might happen. It's usually the other way around where pretentious critics like myself perhaps laud over some art piece, you know, and then the, the, the audience is less enthralled because it's so inaccessible. That's like a more typical situation. But in this case, when something is just like not really beloved by all critics, but the fans definitely like it, that's also interesting. And I guess that's probably fair for a lot of big budget movies. You know, probably all the like Marvel films are like that. But this one stuck out in an interesting way because, you know, I pay attention a bit to the cultural, you know, phenomena in the U.S. And one can't help but think about all these themes that are being discussed nowadays, like incels and mass shootings and random acts of violence and mental health. And I think it's really interesting to look at it from that lens. And I think the mental health lens especially is what I find interesting. I'm really interested in mental health and the ways we deal with it. Uh, you know, I have my own issues. I take medication. I've self-medicated throughout my life. And I have a lot of sympathy for people with mental health issues and also characters. And I think that this film succeeded so greatly because it it intimately empathizes with its lead character. This is no doubt about it, a pure character study on a disturbed individual. First and foremost, that's what this movie is. And then from that, it kind of grows into a commentary on society and, you know, the ways that culture responds to certain events and certain aspects of the world. You know, this is set in a gritty 19, early 1980s, late 70s uh, Gotham, which is New York, maybe mixed with Chicago. And it's portraying a, a, a civilization on the brink of destruction in some way, like something's going to burst, you know, like there's something under the surface that's cracking. And, you know, it's a class warfare kind of situation where the lower classes are ready to revolt against the rich, this kind of thing. And, you know, that's like similar to modern times. That kind of theme is played up a lot in modern times. 
and I have a lot of sympathy for that aspect. I'm, I'm a, an egalitarian at heart and, you know, I live in Europe because it's more of an egalitarian society. Of course, in Europe, I'm very sensitive to inequalities still where people live on the streets and beg for change and, you know, have mental health issues that keep them on the streets because, you know, here in Berlin, it's, it's definitely a, a trend that's growing since I've lived here. And it disturbs me because it's not indicative of a crumbling society the way it is in Gotham or even in L.A. and New York and Seattle and everywhere else in the States. It's more indicative of individual failings. I hate to say that. I know it sounds somehow like conservative Republican, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But the fact is that Europe does provide a lot of social services. There is help out there. The film, on the other hand, highlights how those social services are crumbling through austerity measures and that uh, a man like the Joker can slip through the cracks as some weirdo isolated loner. And that's what happens in the film. That's This is the Joker's origin story, how he becomes this maniacal, you know, villainous murderer. And the way it portrays that is so well done because we can appreciate that this man doesn't want to be bad he's not inherently a psychopath he comes from trauma predictably he has struggled all his life with happiness and depression and he has obviously or predictably again a very complicated family history as tends to be the case and yes, he has access to probably firearms that maybe he shouldn't have access to. That's definitely a, a theme in, in the States. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in this movie. It's a very true feeling film. It resounds truthfully. And, you know, I say that obviously given that it's not factually based on any real events, but nonetheless, it rings true. And it's being attacked actually, by this, you know, quote, mass media or liberal agenda, let's say, who predicted, possibly, that there would be copycats during opening weekend, that there might be some crime associated with the film, you know, like, it wasn't so long ago that there was this kind of trend of maniacal dressing up as a as a clown and freaking people out in the streets, you know, that was also a, um, a trumped up story that was, you know, not actually happening as much as it was said. But, you know, the media does like to play on these fears and like pull the strings of various conspiracies and stuff like that. And it just makes me a little politically activated because, you know, when I watched this movie, I watched it as an appreciator of art and a sympathizer of mental health. Those are the ways that I was looking at this movie. And then when I'm like thinking about the movie and studying it and reading about it, there's so much, you know, vileness about incel culture and how, you know, loner white men are the problem and how, you know, racism and sexism are evidenced everywhere and that this plays into that, you know, and maybe it gives too much sympathy to this incel community of 4chan freaks, right? And how, you know, Pepe the Frog is a meme and... You know, all this kind of like Keck culture is like 
disgusting and problematic. And there's probably some truth to that, but I find myself to be a defender of these kind of communities, actually. I don't relate to this uh, incel group. I'm not involuntarily, I'm not involuntarily celibate. I'm not celibate. And I don't have these same outsider weirdo predilections, but I can appreciate that young men do have this. It is a real phenomenon that's happening where, you know, let's say less desirable guys who get into some bad habits are undesirable in society and feeling left out and at the bottom and in the fringes. And, you know, they're kind of this underclass that's mocked, you know, and derided by feminists and capitalists alike in a way. And I find it sad. And I love that this film really gives some humanity to that in a way. It doesn't celebrate it. This is still essentially the portrayal of a bad seed in some way, but it explains it in a very compassionate way that this guy was ready to be a good guy, but society and outside forces just sort of schemed against him somehow. He is, he's really essentially the victim of bad luck, of bad parenting, of bad you know, situations and probably some bad inborn mental health perhaps and just hasn't had a break, you know, and the fact that his social worker, you know, is like sort of not there for him, you know, maybe that counts as a spoiler. All right, I'll, I'll say a spoiler alert now if you want to see the film fresh like I did. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a misunderstood film if it's not getting the praise it rightfully deserves and people are reading it wrong if they're putting this kind of agenda onto it. This is not a an up in arms, you know, revolutionary film of this underclass of neck bearded losers in their mom's basement. That's not what this is at all. Uh, it does portray that a bit, but this is also where we get into stuff like privilege and hierarchy. And I want to talk about these themes a little bit because they're misunderstood themes. And when people talk about these ideas, they're kind of talking past each other very often. The fact is that on earth, everything is arranged in hierarchies. That's just the way it is. There's no debating that. And it's evidenced everywhere. Everywhere you look, uh, in the animal kingdom, in every single species, and in humanity, in every single walk of life, you know, there's really broadly speaking an upper class, a middle class, and a lower class. That's always been the case. Most people have historically been in the lower class. The middle class has grown. It's kind of stagnant in the U.S., which is why it's kind of an issue now. The upper class maybe grows out of proportion or shrinks, but their wealth increases disproportionately. That's definitely a problem that I, you know, I voted for Bernie Sanders for that reason. In Europe, it's less the case. In China, the middle class is growing, which is great. So we can obviously see this kind of, uh, you know, hierarchy in terms of class. That should be obvious. And then we have these other hierarchies of like, 
competence, you know, like Todd Phillips directed this film. Why did he get directed? Because he has a record of directing films greatly, whether or not you believe in the films. He's a very competent director, and he brought a great script to this vision, and he was greenlighted. Joaquin Phoenix, similarly, why was he the Joker? Why wasn't it, I don't know, some other guy? And this is a hierarchy in Hollywood of who gets to do what. And in your walk of life, you might be X. You might be a professor, you might be a construction worker, you might be a writer, and you exist in a hierarchy where you're, you have a LinkedIn profile and you're trying to achieve more status, wealth, opportunity. And we all exist in these hierarchies and it's annoying. It, we don't like to exist in these hierarchies, but when we, when we level up in society, we can appreciate these hierarchies. You know, you might start as a secretary and resent your boss, but then when you have a secretary, you kind of see the bigger picture a little more maybe. So these hierarchies are probably um, annoying to a lot of people, and this film kind of highlights that, that there are people at the bottom that want to see it all burned down. When you're at the bottom of a hierarchy, you're not invested in it. You have nothing to lose. And that's what this movie portrays. And it's ironic because the people that are complaining about this film are the people that also obsess about hierarchies, but they obsess over different hierarchies. They probably have some compassion and sympathy with the class struggle element of like the 99% and Occupy Wall Street. I think a lot of us go that way in the millennial generation. But then we have hierarchies of identity, right? White people at the top of the hierarchy, black people at the bottom. We have the hierarchies of gender. Somehow men are at the top, women are at the bottom, supposedly. And the people that see the world like that are the ones that don't like this film because of perhaps it's starring a white man. It's directed by a white man. It's trying to sympathize with, you know, the lone wolf phenomenon, that supposedly doesn't exist you know there are people there are other agendas out at play everywhere everyone has their own agenda when they're talking when they're describing hierarchies right you have this kind of you have this like situation where um you know maybe we have this boogeyman of white nationalism so all mass shooters that are white men are part of white nationalism I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I listen to the different stories, the different narratives that are presented, and I can see some truth to it. You know, when there's like a, a lone shooter um, who's Arabic or Muslim, perhaps, maybe he's associated with ISIS or some terrorist cell. And who knows what really separates, let's say, the Miami shooter and the uh, whoever. I don't, I'm not keeping track of the shootings too much. What really separates them? One might pledge his allegiance to one doctrine. One might pledge his allegiance to another doctrine. And this film kind of touches on those topics a bit, you know? Like, essentially, if you have a mental health problem, like a disturbance, you might very easily be persuaded in one direction or another. Or maybe you're just nihilistic and unhinged. And this question is presented to... The Joker's character, like, are you part of a movement? Are you part of this uprising? And he's kind of thinking, well, no, I'm not. I'm not political. And I take him at his word for that because he's not thinking in terms of politics. He's not, he doesn't have the wherewithal to look at his situation in the context of a crumbling underclass. 
he just sees his life sucking. That's it. He's not an analyst of cultural, you know, shifts. He's excited that his brethren are sort of commuting, like creating a community, a camaraderie. That's exciting for him. It does give him a sense of belonging in a way, but he doesn't quite, you know, he's not identifying as such. He is identifying uh, insofar as he does identify at all, because he does question his own existence often, actually, as an isolated, struggling man alone in the world. That's his identity. And it's actually a common identity that I have some sympathy for. You know, moving to Berlin, I've kind of isolated myself from my lifelong friend groups and family. And you know, I've kind of like portrayed my own journey as a sort of like, (laughs) I guess, at the risk of sounding conceited or pretentious and like a sort of like, you know, thorough or transcendentalist way of thinking of Walden Pond or Emerson and like, you know, escaping this like society and going off on my own spiritual journey, you know, living... Uh, on top of a mountain, except for that that mountaintop happens to be the city of Berlin. I've kind of like viewed it in this way. But as I've lived in Berlin and struggled also with, you know, typical problems, I've seen the dangers of slipping too far into the darkness of just becoming an isolated weirdo, not leaving the apartment, not talking to people enough. This is a real thing that happens, and it happens to, it happens, period, full stop. And we have to grapple with that. And it really saddens me when I look at the world, especially the developed world with crumbling infrastructure, how we're letting ourselves down. We're not taking care of the people in our communities that need it the most you know we see these people on the street who are they're blights on society and i my heart goes out to them i don't want to see people living in tents i don't want to see people addicted to meth and barbiturates i want to help these people i want each person to be assigned a a caseworker and given a home and i think we have the ability to do that and we should do that That's my belief politically. But personally, I find it aggressively disturbing that, you know, the fringes of society are encroaching on society. You know, when my friends are in a bar and a purse gets stolen, that's disturbing it's annoying i don't i don't want to sympathize with why somebody felt the need to steal a purse Uh, but i can do of course people that are in need get desperate and we have to tackle that problem and yeah i guess i'm satisfied enough with with getting this off my chest but this movie does put me in this mindset of like the dangers of what does happen when human souls are not nourished with what we need most, which is love and compassion and camaraderie 
friendship, family, and support and opportunity. This is what people need. This is what we need. And when you reject others on Twitter as a mob, when you shame people for their identity, whether it's upward or downward, when you you attack others because of their beliefs that you disagree with, and you shun them as subhuman in some way, like monsters or, you know, dogs or something. This is creating these disturbances in mental health that we need to be addressing and preventing. And I'm not sure of the answer. I've been thinking about this kind of stuff a lot as a pharmaceutical drug uh, user and as a recreational drug user and as a you know, as a healthy citizen and as a struggling man uh, with, you know, all the issues that we all face, you know, how do you, how do you get up in the morning? How do you get ready for the day? What, how do you approach life and tackle responsibility? How do you find your place in the world and make a dent that matters, that you care about, that you're invested in? These are all really important questions that people need help thinking about. And support and you know we just need to leave the identity politics out of it i think a lot of my you know talks to my, with myself lately are coming down to that because i just see identity politics is so toxic um you know like anyone that would suggest that this character of the joker doesn't deserve compassion because he's just some part of the problem as a white man or something like that is just doesn't doesn't add anything to the discussion. That brings the discussion way down. Everyone needs our support, everyone. And it's up to us as individuals to, f- to parse that out because you know another topic we were talking about, my friends and I, is like, what do you do when you have the privilege of living in a decent apartment in a big city and people outside your flat are causing a ruckus because they're, choosing to like smash beer bottles and sleep on the benches outside in the park or something right i mean what do you do you have you feel this disconnect like you feel guilty maybe that you are a have and they are a have not you know you feel some guilt for maybe calling authorities on, uh, on them you know maybe you feel like you need to hand them some money because you have you know some extra cash and they have nothing and those are real struggles that we all have to face personally. But societally, I think it does make sense that we can all at least, as citizens, vote for a fair tax structure, that we aim our taxes at the right things, you know, to buy, you know, mental health through the form of clinics and, you know, hospitals rather than bombs and, you know, all the stupid things that taxes buy. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's it's so interesting the way that art can really address things in a profound way that is actually commercially successful. I'm just, I'm really happy to see that um, Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips and their whole team with Warner Brothers Studios were able to make this. I think it's just a phenomenal achievement that even in the face of woke culture, uh, that this can be made and celebrated to some degree. And 
it's very insightful. You know, this is the kind of thing that activism cannot say, and I cannot say it even through this kind of format of a podcast. But I do hope that I can encourage you to see the film and to appreciate it on the levels that I've discussed, because even monsters do deserve some sympathy. Sympathy for the devil. All right, I'll leave it at that. This has been a bit of a cinematic analysis of Joker. Until next time, guys. Ciao.